0: Hello everyone, this is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Monday, January 13th, 2020. Uh, the storm is over of CES. Uh, it's the um, Monday directly after that wonderful week that many of us in the tech uh, industry spent the last uh, four or five days at. A lot of fun, a lot of uh, exhaustion. I certainly can't uh, couldn't wait to get back home, but uh, thought it would be worthwhile to spend some time with um, one of my estimable uh, colleagues. Uh, Rob Peguero, who is a, uh, you've heard from him before. He's a writer for the Washington Post, USA Today. Uh, I think he just got hired to write the screenplay for the new musical version of Damn Yankees in which they defeat the <laughs> Washington Senators. Because if you know Rob, all he talks about is the Washington Nationals over and over again. And uh,
1: Well, I'm not going to talk about the local NFL franchise now, am I?
0: <laughs> uh, well, don't talk about the New York Giants either because they had a horrible season. <laughs> So, anyway, Rob, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good. So, I mean, th- which number of uh, CES is this? I'm afraid this was ask the
1: that 23rd in a row. I got into this, I, I made a bad life choice in 1998. Uh, well, technically, 1997 when I booked my flights, but yes, 98 was my first. And the big story back then was. Digital TV. You would, you too, would soon be able to spend like four thousand dollars on a thirty-six inch CRT that would My weigh four hundred pounds, but could display high definition television.
0: Yes, that was, By the way, with SD resolution. By the way, I'm not even sure that uh, that had, that didn't have anything. Might to have. HD it back was
1: then. enhanced definition. I do remember that.
0: You know what's so funny about that, making that observation, is that my father passed away back in 2001, right really right around when the world was kind of flipping to flat panels and high-definition television. And, you know, the world has changed so much since 2001, just specific to televisions, and we're certainly going to talk about TVs. In a few moments because obviously there was uh, there was some uh, interesting news Samsung went out went all out at uh, as they normally do um, usually do at CES. but now that the TV space continues to be a lot of fun just to watch the way it's um, the way it's progressing and the TV manufacturers are trying to find relevant ways to keep people interested. uh, As uh, 8K, you know, is slowly but surely uh, coming along, but it's still way, way off in terms of where an 8K television purchase might even make sense, and we'll certainly get into that. But uh, let's right off the bat, um, Rob, um, you know, was there anything? What what was the first uh, couple of things that you thought that were kind of interesting at the uh, at the show?
1: The big thing that jumped out at me, and this was the subject of the column I did for USA Today, was was more like the thing you didn't see that you might have expected to see, which was a more serious discussion of privacy. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all these connected TVs, some people call them smart TVs, and I want to be too generous with the compliments in this category. Uh, they do track what you view so that they can recommend, you know, more great stuff to watch. But it also gives the makers of the sets great data to bundle and aggregate hopefully anonymously, to advertisers and they can make a little bit of extra money and sell the set for a little bit less. Uh, this has not been very well documented and the interfaces to control and adjust this monitoring. In Vizio's case, they were so bad, they got fined $22 million by the Federal Trade Commission and the, the great state of New Jersey for having <laughs> such a dark pattern of an interface. So... This conversation's really picked up over the last year. And what we saw at CES was one company, Samsung, said we have to talk about privacy. Yep. And so they're going to have a privacy choices app that will, in some indeterminate way, make it easier for you to see how much of your data is collected and to limit the collection of that. Right. Uh, how long was that on screen during their, uh, their first look press preview?
0: Oh, do you have a... Uh A millisecond stopwatch? (laughs) (laughs) If it wasn't
1: running a stopwatch, it shouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, I talked to an executive afterwards, and he said, you know, this is important. He did say they're going to ship it for sets going as far back as 2015, Mm -hmm. but we don't know what it looks like, how easy it is to use, what it does. They they didn't have it on display on the show floor, but that's what we saw from everybody else, which was uh, nothing. Uh, There was no nod to this, no mention of the topic of privacy at all.
0: Well, I think it's a really good point because the uh, with the um, growth of what I call smart TVs, TVs uh, from TCL, for example, that have an embedded Roku interface, you know, Amazon is doing the same type of thing with uh, with their TVs, embedding that. Um, Their prime um, uh, TV interface, Fire TV, yeah, Fire the Fire TV stuff is that you know I think with with, I mean there's certainly humongous benefits that a consumer accrues by using a smart TV. You don't got to change inputs. A lot of them do universal search very well. In particular, the Roku stuff does universal search really well. But to your point, you know a lot of the manufacturers out there, they are using advertising. You know, as a vehicle and collecting data, as a vehicle for defraying um, uh, their product costs. So, and uh, again, to your point, in the case of Vizio, where they bury the um, the opt-out cap, you know, um, ability so deep in the menus that you it's like a cavern. You can never quite find <laughs> where <laughs> they are. And they, and by the way, you cannot tell me, Rob, that that's not done by design. You know, they obviously the deeper you make that. In the interface, the uh, the less likely you are to turn it off, and uh, you know it's all. And by the way, most of these TVs have the interface defaulted to on. You know, in terms of your your yeah. ability, you know, so it's not like you have to opt in; you have to opt out, and that's always a it's uh, always a problem. But uh, no, that's certainly to Samsung's credit, they are spending more time on that. Um, you know, from a uh, from a visibility standpoint, you know, I think on the product side that was kind of interesting. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw you at the, uh, the, the, you know, Samsung had like 14 different events. I'm exaggerating, but they seem to have, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, you know, events that were, uh, I think Samsung doesn't understand that people who go to CES actually do have to atray, uh, attend other events. The, other they vendors. think
1: they're uh, Apple or something.
0: Yeah. You know, go figure, but you know, they showed us, you know this whole notion and they used the phrase very explicitly at the, uh, at that television, uh, press conferences notion of screens everywhere. You know that, uh, and you know the incredible thing about Samsung is they've just got a TV screen. You know, if you have a a small uh, you know piece of real estate in your house that you want to have a screen, you know, uh, Samsung's got a TV for you. And you know, they they made big news with this Sarah concept, where which I you know I want to get your opinion on that in a second, but I'm a little bit, you know, it's you know it's essentially if you haven't seen it, it's it's a um, a TV that's mounted on a rotating uh, mechanism that if you're using a smartphone, it could detect whether, if you're watching YouTube content, it could detect whether the content is in landscape or portrait, and then literally mechanically flip the TV from landscape to portrait and give you a much more immersive experience. And I think that's terrific, except I'm not sure that that by itself is justification for the, you know, the small percentage of times that you're going to watch, you know, YouTube video that's in portrait. So what's your take on that did you think
1: that, yeah, that I saw on? it and you know I suspect I'm not in the target demographic because I you know I, I watch enough stuff on my phone but I'm usually not projecting it to the TV if I'm projecting something to the TV it is more likely the device is the iPad and I'm watching some actual like show show maybe not TV but something from a streaming service mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean how much extra is this going to cost will it, <laughs> what else will it get me yeah, uh, you know, I, I want to make a joke that oh, finally I can stop having to rotate my entire house, but <laughs> it's too hard to set up. Yeah, it, it's a good attention-getting tactic. Sort of like I mean, the other thing Samsung always has is the the wall, the ever larger TV. Right. It's now two hundred ninety-two inches, yes. which is new pictures. I mean, I Instagrammed it myself, or no, I Instagrammed the Cero. But will they sell a whole lot of these? Will they? Will they sell any? I don't know. I mean, Samsung is, they're trying to make TV a lifestyle thing. They also have the, uh, what is it, the the italic TV where it looks like a, which, you know, when people are trying to make TV a lifestyle brand, that's how you know the profit margin has been sucked completely out of it. (laughs) So you've got, you can't just be like, look, here's a flat screen. No, this one, look at the industrial design. This thing is, you can glue it to the wall. Here's all those other things it can do that have nothing to do with actually showing you a video picture
0: they had a whole family of TVs and I think they announced some of them earlier last year, but they, they announced some follow-up models that were basically, they had built in stands, you know, they, they could yeah. put them in a corner of a room without a piece of furniture that you could put on top of them. And, you know, I, I, I gotta give Samsung credit though. I mean, Samsung, you know, you know, does go, you know, uh, uh, you know, beyond the call of duty in terms of making sure that there's TVs to meet every conceivable lifestyle out there. And, and, and strangely enough, I contrast this to all the rumors that were circulating a couple of years ago, a few years ago actually, when there was, was rumors that Apple was going to get into the TV business, and yeah, how many
1: the, years was Gene Munster, the the analyst, pushing that uh, prediction? Oh
0: yeah, yeah exactly. Well, <laughs> and, and, and and it's still circulating around in some quarters. And and I think one of the primary reasons why Apple hasn't gotten into the TV business, beyond the innovation element, we'll just put that aside. That aside, the the operational complexity. Of what Samsung does now, they're in the TV business. That is, what they're one of their big core businesses. So they're probably pretty good at it. But I just can't imagine an Apple, you know, getting into the TV business. And even if they did approach it in the way of we're going to have you know eighty-seven different varieties of TVs and every you know conceivable color. Now they have been able to pull that off with with watches because they have you know multiple yes color bands. But the that that's a, a complexity a layup in comparison to trying to do that at the. Um, um, at the television level, you know, so I don't know. I just, you know, I, I, give uh, Samsung credit for, you know, at least trying to flex their chops in a space that they obviously have tremendous uh, history in and, and, and expertise in, um, you know, that they, that wall concept, which again, they announced, uh, you know, earlier in the year and now they're, you know, they, they can get to much even larger spaces. That's not a consumer play, as you know, I mean, that's really a hospitality, um sports stadium you know a venue where you can configure a tv you know in a variety of different sizes without seeing the seam um as you kind of put these together these these lego blocks together to form um you know right you know, yes larger tvs but i don't you know interesting stuff so i i gotta give samsung credit and you know you know i, I uh, you know interesting enough um you know, the AK stuff, just because I know that's your favorite topic. There was a, a little <laughs> bit of discussion about AK, but it wasn't overwhelming, you know, my, my guess. I mean, yes, they did have, they did talk about uh, some of their new TVs being, you know, the best AK TV out there. But, you know, and I'm sure you're going you're gonna to opine on this in a second, Rob, but there still is an you AK.
1: You know I'm waiting football.
0: to. <laughs> go ahead. This is a fastball down the middle, okay, at 85 miles an hour. So go for it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so the, people are still trying to make AK a thing. And, like, I get it. If you're looking at a 75-inch or larger set and if stuff is upconverted and maybe if you like showing, you know, your, your own slideshows. But the content just isn't going there. The most anyone I could point to is, well, YouTube will natively support this, which, you know, I had to jokingly tweet out. Well, we'll no AK is really taking off when the Nazis on YouTube adopt it. Oh. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I guess I just uh, confirmed Godwin's law, which is okay. Mike Godwin's a friend of mine; I'm sure he'd approve this usage. Um, but you know, yeah, like I know why they're doing it. That's that's where the profit margin is. But you know, no, I, I've I've yet to have any normal human being who doesn't follow CS headlines say 4K is enough resolution for me. I'd like more. What um, and I would compare that with the really apathetic. Support I saw, this was a piece I did for a different client, Mm -hmm. of ATSC 3.0, which is the long awaited and still very (laughs) much undersold upgrade to broadcast television. Right. Which is, you know, it's supposed to give you 4K over the air, which would be nice. And you could certainly appreciate those extra pixels on a smaller screen than 8K requires. Uh, More reliable HD reception, which I think is the bigger deal. Because I can get HD over the air with an indoor antenna, and it's great. It's one of the things that let us cut the cord over 10 years ago. Lots of people don't have that luxury. Uh, It'll also allow various one-way data services, which could mean targeted ads to your TV. People are not so cool about that. Uh, But it means nothing if your TV doesn't have it. And so this year we finally did have TVs that came with support for this. But there's so few, uh, and the vendors are completely soft pedaling it. Samsung is actually putting it, I think, in all of their AK sets. Totally left that out of the first look uh, right. event and the, all their announcements. Sony has it on one set that is not on display in their enormous was not on display in their enormous exhibit. Mm-hmm. Uh, LG, it's on, I think, a total of six, and they did give it a shout out in their press conference, which is nice. But again, not on display at all. The only way you'd know they were supporting it was for this little. Badge citing next gen TV support uh, on the base of one set. Next gen TV is, of course, the brand name the industry picked because, yeah, ATSC 3.0, Advanced Television Systems Committee 3.0, is a terrible bit of no, branding. No, I was about consumers. to
0: say, uh, being an old marketing guy, I mean, if uh, that's not exactly the. the um the acronym you'd want to use if you want to get people excited you got to come up with a better brand yeah. name than that uh so rob the, the the one other point i would make is that um if you look at the cost of um uh these great high performance 4k tvs that have been coming out the big challenge is is that for the average family you know 1800 bucks which you can generally you know get a very good um 4k tv for i mean I, i'm a big fan of the tcl tvs uh, because they've got embedded roku functionality and they're just Superb, and it's got now micro LED capability, which is kind of sort of like the QLED capability, which is great for standard definition content. That's still a lot of money, you know, eighteen hundred bucks for a TV. And the, the just the point I'm making is that that um, the same phenomenon that's happened in the high-end smartphone space, where people are just not upgrading. Eighteen hundred bucks is a lot of money for a TV. Eleven and twelve hundred bucks is a lot of money for a smartphone. So people are not upgrading at the pace that. Uh, you know that the TV manufacturer, manufacturers would love them to upgrade at, but uh, that's probably a, a bit of a different story. The, the other yeah. thing that I thought was interesting at the event was, and, and it certainly was on, and, and it was on a big way. You know, Lenovo, uh, Dell were all over the whole foldable uh, form factor. Um, uh, segment, uh, You know, Dell showed a number of interesting concepts at their press con- conference with a duet concept and, you know, essentially bolded-
1: a this is the week you get back from CES. You spend half the time realizing all the stuff you missed, even though you thought you were spending like five yeah. 18 hour days in a row soaking yourself in the electronics industry.
0: Now that now that's well, you, you know you you actually that was one of the cooler things I thought. you know, I think that the um, I mean the, the challenge with the foldable displays, as Samsung obviously because we, we were invoking them as an example. Uh, they actually had some challenges with their original fold that they announced, uh, last year. They had to kind of reel it back in and then come out with a new version with a better hinge. I mean, I'm of the, uh, of the view that foldable displays are here to stay. It's going to happen. Um, uh, the prices are going to come down. There are a lot, you know, the, uh... The uh, Pat Moorhead, who uh, runs uh, More Insights and Strategy, loves his Galaxy Fold. He thinks it's a game changer, and um, you can't, he can't go anywhere without it. So I'm, I'm convinced that foldable technology that allows you to get a much bigger display and a smaller form factor when it's folded is a big deal. I, I, on the notebook front, you know, Lenovo showed some interesting concepts. Dell had some interesting concepts, um, and they're all concepts at this point, although Lenovo did show, show off a ThinkPad. Concept. So it's more. I think it's more of a concept. It's, it's kind of probably in the in the product um, product phase. Um, the, the the question still is, can you type on a capacitive screen? And most people would, would tell you that's real hard. You know. Um, yeah, you
1: can, but it's not. I mean, you know, I I took my laptop to this event I went to on Capitol Hill two hours ago because I wanted to be able to type quickly. Mm-hmm. And you know, I can type reasonably fast. Gesture typing on my phone but I don't want to do that over, you know, an hour and a half panel discussion uh, or a series of panel discussions.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I think it's going to, it's going to happen. I think uh, there probably will be still, still some type of mechanical keyboard factored into some of these products, um, you know, as an accessory as, or as an option. Dell showed that off uh, during their, uh, uh, during their event, but uh, there's not quite, you know, it's like, it's funny. And I'm sure you'd agree with this. Um, uh, Rob, when the industry gets on a concept, it's regardless of how, you know, um, esoteric or as, you know, perhaps not as useful as it might be, it might seem be, the, the industry goes after. They're going to figure out a way to make, um, you know, uh, foldable screens useful. And I think largely they'll get there. I think it'll happen probably qu- um, earlier than later on the, on the smartphone I I will let
1: other people buy the first generation of any foldable device after seeing how well the (laughs) Galaxy Fold fared in its first (laughs) go-round.
0: Well, I I think you're going to be one of many, but I think you know once um, you know I hate to say this because this will break Samsung's heart, but I'm sure Apple will be in the foldable um, category at some point maybe maybe not this year but uh, probably a couple of years out it's, it's going to happen and once apple does it they tend to legitimize the category even though samsung's been there you know will have been there several years earlier so it'll see it'll be interesting to see what happens there um the other interesting thing was and i don't know whether you went to the amd event but amd really did a nice job um uh, at their keynote i mean the the you know the whole AMD Intel dynamic was always has always been fascinating to me. I mean, I you know worked closely with AMD when I was at Compaq and Dell years ago. Right. Yeah. You know, and AMD always had kind of the reputation. And this is going to sound. Disingenuous, but they always had the reputation of the gang that couldn't shoot straight. They always had, you know, could never. They had, you know, they were they were kind of the value leader in the segment that they participated in. They might not have higher performing processors than Intel, but they were always pricing them in a, in a much more affordable way, allowing the PC guys to to get to much more aggressive price points. And over the last couple of years, and you've got to give Lisa Sue, their their new CEO tremendous credit. They have done just an amazing turnaround job. I mean, they are really challenging Intel, you know, at, at, at the process level in terms of the way that processors are manufactured and delivered to the yep. marketplace. But they showed off some graphics uh, processors or next generation graphics stuff that's actually not just incrementally higher performing, performing, but uh, in some cases, 40, 50, 60% faster performing um, at the notebook, uh, at the notebook level. And uh, this whole notion—am I going to
1: want that to run the new uh, flight simulator from Microsoft?
0: That could be. You know, I'll okay. put I'll put I'll, pu- I'll put your name on the list. But the, <laughs> but but the, the point I'm making is that you know AMD is really you know has has really uh, done a terrific job, and it's not to say that you know Intel is a bad choice if you're choosing a processor for a. Um, uh, for your notebook. But um, they are they are really neck and neck in terms of performance and value. And uh, you know, just got to give them a lot of credit in terms of what they're doing um, in the marketplace. Um, what are the trends that do you notice? Uh, uh, what other couple of things might have you looked at that you thought were interesting, uh, Rob?
1: Uh, let's see. So going back to TV, the one other thing I'd call out is something I think we might have talked about after IFA last September, which is Uh, the rise of the third-party operating system. Roku has been pitching themselves to be that provider, Mm -hmm. and and now Amazon has been signing more deals. And one thing I realized when digging into the privacy issue is that might not be the worst thing ever because Mm -hmm. one thing you can definitely say for the Fire TV OS, it actually has a simple, easy-to-decipher privacy setting. I I checked it myself on the Fire TV stick I have at home. Uh, You know, go to the settings app, Click to the right to open privacy, and then there's three options to uh, limit the collection of data on your viewing, your usage of apps, and the showing of targeted ads. And uh, yeah, it, it's there. It's easy, of course. Even though I am <laughs> paid to be a tech expert, <laughs> I hadn't thought to check that setting myself until somebody had demoed that for me at CES. Um, and yeah, you know, companies like Roku and Amazon, th- th- their job is to be good at interface design. And, um, you know, I'm not so sure LG has, you know, good bones with WebOS going back to the Palm days. Right. But a lot of the other stuff is is not very good. And th- these companies should be leaving it to other people. And which brings me to TiVo where, you know, they showed off the TiVo stream. Their attempt yes. to provide the next. It's not a stick because it's more like this deck of card-shaped thing that plugs into an HDMI port, but they want that to be uh, their answer to a Roku, another Switzerland of media players, since they won't be a content provider. Um, and talking to them, it seems like they really want to do this big pivot from doing the traditional Linux DVR to this thing with the DVR in the cloud, and having had to replace Montivo when the hard drive died, I'm like, I would actually prefer that the, the storage for the DVR not be local, because that, that doesn't last. I've seen right. it, and there's no way, once the Devo hard drive dies, all those recordings are toast. Well, I, in fact, you know what happened to
0: me over the holidays is I actually, um, I might have mentioned this to you when I when I saw you in, in Vegas, is that uh, over the holidays I upgraded my mom's Fios system to the new Fios, their Fios 1 um a top box system she I mean, she had an ancient configuration from it was probably seven or eight years old and they had, verizon had an offer to upgrade to the latest stuff and uh, one of the downsides is that all the content was lost you know uh, yep. all her dvr content was lost so obviously when you go to a cloud um implementation uh, you know, that problem you know goes away or gets mitigated mitigated uh, pretty um dramatically um, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, and maybe we could just chat about it for a few minutes before we, uh, sign off here is 5g, you know, I mean, uh, 5g yep. obviously was the big message last year. Um, you know, kind of sorta happened, uh, there, you know, Apple, you know, has not dipped their toes yet into the marketplace with phones that have 5g support. Samsung ha- has Huawei has. Um, but you know the, the 5G rollout, which began in earnest, earnest last year, it's still you know very very modest. And by the way, it's in most parts of the country, it's not supporting the millimeter wave, um, uh, the millimeter wave um, standard, which really delivers you that blazing speed that that fulfills the potential of 5G. But I did you know 5G certainly the, the message 5G was all over the place, but you know I thought it was fairly measured. You know, frankly, for most of the vendors that I spoke with, and... Uh, it, it should be.
1: It should you know. be. So, I, I've, I'm actually looking right now at the two loaner 5G hotspots I have right now. I didn't take either to Vegas, because Sprint's 5G network isn't active there. Mm-hmm. Verizon's millimeter wave 5G network isn't active there either. And they're both pretty bulky, large things. So, I'm like, I definitely don't need to have an extra pound of electronics in my bag that won't do anything. Right. Um yeah. Everyone who's been hyping up 5G as this is going to change everything would be really advised to, to chill out a little bit mm-hmm. because now that you have consumer 5G phones out there and 5G networks getting turned on, which in the case of uh, at least the ones you as a customer could buy at AT&T and T-Mobile and to a lesser extent Sprint aren't that big of an upgrade over what you have now. They're going to drive this whole industry into the trough of disillusionment if they keep talking such a big game about something that people can't use. And in the case of millimeter wave, you know, if you're not in the middle of the city, you you might not see that anytime soon for a while.
0: No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and, and not only that, um, the industry largely has been very coy. On what premium, if any, and I suspect there will be a premium associated with your sailor your, um, phone su- um, subscription, are you going to pay a premium for getting 5G? And, you know, the, most of the companies have been very coy, frankly, about what they're going to do there. Um, and I, I just suspect business is business, and uh, you'll see the initial rollouts, but there'll be a slight premium for that. Um, I think there's still confusion out in the marketplace. I think 5G is on, on people's brains in terms of, yep. hey, i got to be aware of it. But you know, I think when you start asking people questions about, do you know what the difference is between millimeter wave and other variants of 5G, that clearly that messaging hasn't filtered through with people. And, and, and th- then
1: I start explaining, and 20 minutes later, their eyes are completely glazed over. They're backed into a corner telling right. me to go away.
0: <laughs> but you know what's going to be a big deal, though? I will say, and I and maybe we could just talk about this for a couple of minutes before we sign off here, is I do think one of the big areas that's going to be um, pretty significant this year and certainly next year from a future-proofing standpoint is that, you know, Netgear and, and others, but Netgear primarily has kind of dipped their toe in the waters of a, um, a combo 5G Wi-Fi 6 modem. Because as you know, when when and the reason why that's important I did see that um, in the booth. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the reason why it's so important is that uh, first and foremost, you know, you know, talk about Wi Fi six doesn't get it's like the riding danger field of wireless specs. It doesn't get the respect that it should. Wi Fi six is here. Even the new Apple's um, iPhones have Wi-Fi 6, and that's the next standard of wireless support that has much um, faster speeds, it has very little latency, um, and you can all get it right now, as long as you have a client, and, and just about every notebook that's been announced in the last six months has Wi-Fi 6 support built into it. And the reason why I think that whole combo 5G Wi-Fi 6 scenario is so important is that you know in a, in a scenario where you can get millimeter wave in your neighborhood, and you could get rid of your cable subscription or your satellite subscription and you could just live on a, yep. you know, you're going to need some type of way to capture that 5G stream and then distribute that in a secure way in your home. And I, so I think those um, those combo, mode, uh, combo routers are going to be a big deal. Um, you know, Nokia will not, of course, won't be the only player out there. But I think that from a future proofing standpoint, you know, as people are starting to upgrade their cell phones next year to uh, or this year to 5G, they should also need to uh, think about what should I do from a router standpoint? Because people, you know, and I, I think that's going to be good news for people, because if you could blow up your cable subscription and just depend on one carrier for all your um, you know, broadband needs, uh, you know, hopefully there's some cost savings that people will be able to derive out of that. But uh, I think that's going to be a big
1: deal. That that is my big real-world hope for 5G. You know, the the idea that's going to, you know, transform the Internet of Things, it's, yeah, it might make all sorts of supply chain logistics awesome, but that's not really something you as a customer are going to see. The idea that you'll have gigabit bandwidth on your cell phone, great. What are you going to watch on that tiny screen? But if it could break open a lot of local cable monopolies, that would be great. I would love (laughs) to see that happen. And I, I think it does help. That you know, two of the four carriers, which may or may not become one, don't have a legacy fixed uh, broadband business to protect. Sprint and T-Mobile, they're not trying to hold on to any fiber optic or, you know, God forbid, DSL customers. So DSL. the only way they're going to be home ISPs is wirelessly.
0: Right. Well, no, I you know, oh, you know, I'm a big believer. More competition is a good thing. You know, and, yep. and you know, and hopefully that you know, consumers will be able to. Um, We'll be able to profit from that scenario because certainly, and it's really a subject of another uh, podcast one day, because the, the complete opposite is, is happening in the cord-cutting space. You know, it, The cord-cutting space used to be a bastion of, hey, I could save a bunch of money, but all the services now are, are increasing in prices, and uh, so the, the, the savings that you used to be able to get on the cord-cutting side are not materializing. So hopefully that scenario will not play itself out as 5G um, gets rolled out. But... Uh, well, we, we could talk for hours, Rob. Uh, listen to anything we'll, we'll you
1: want to leave. do it again after MWC next month.
0: Yes, we will. We'll absolutely do that. Anything you want to leave the audience with before you uh, before we uh, end the call?
1: Uh, I, I might as well put in a plug for my social media presence. Yes, I'm go Matt, ahead. Rob Hegerero on Twitter, uh, robhegarero.com on uh, the web. Uh, that's P-E-G-O-R-A-R-O downside of having a complicated multi-syllable Italian last name like mine is nobody can spell it but if you can I can I can almost always get the first name last name username combo in any social media platform ever invented
0: <laughs> Well Rob listen thanks for calling in um, appreciate uh, your time thanks to the entire more insights and strategy audience for listening in to today's podcast please follow us on our usual social media partners Facebook LinkedIn and Twitter and until next time. Have a great week.